Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. Malawian theologian Isabel Apoopiri describes the book of Ruth as encountering a God who is concerned about the everyday occurrences of ordinary people. Ruth is a remarkable Old Testament book exploring God's sovereignty in his overarching plan for redemption, as well as his ability to be wholly engaged in people's daily trials and struggles. Please continue listening to our next installment of Ruth, a story of redemption. Thanks, Ian. I was watching the England game last weekend. I'm not sure which game Ian was watching, but hey, it's always a great joy when he makes a mistake on the microphone just before I get the microphone and I get to take him down. The great joys of brotherhood in ministry. Hey, Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Ryan. For those of you who don't know me, a uh, privilege to be part of the leadership team here in Common Ground Bosch. And we're in the book of Ruth. What a powerful book this is. I'm not sure how you're finding the book, but we're in week three. And the last two weeks, really, we've started to unpack the power of this story, this happening historical happening in the life of these different characters. This is a a story of an outsider who's brought in. It's the story of one obscure person, actually a, a couple of obscure people going about their kind of normal everyday business and yet their lives get sucked up into great meaning and purpose, so much so that here we are thousands of years later reading their story because they encounter God and His purpose and they choose to align their lives with him and participate in what he wants to do. It's the story of emptiness to fullness. It's the story of of wrestling with God and wrestling with God in real pain and returning to God in desperation and experiencing the grace of God flooding in to their lives. It's the story of some prayers being clearly answered and others not answered. It's the story of a couple of individuals who really come to see God's purpose and God's hand in their lives. And what's so powerful about Old Testament narrative kind of stories for us where we get to to kind of read about God's dealings with people is that we get to actually read ourselves into these stories. That's the power often is we get to kind of associate with this character or that character or that happening. How crazy this morning, I get to bed just after two o'clock last night, back here to preach twice this morning. What fun, go book it, right? And then they just stressed me out for three weeks in a row. I mean, uh, these guys, honestly, they owe us. No, but the the point is I get back here and twice this morning, the first time I'd seen a lady who lost her husband a month ago and I was able to just give her a big hug and she just kind of had some tears as I embraced her this morning. And I thought to myself, man, how she must be reading her life into the story. A couple of minutes later in the, well, hour and a half later in the second meeting, I meet a new visitor. 
get chatting to her, she tells me her story. And she says, two and a half years ago, kind of in the COVID time, I lost my husband tragically in an accident. And she says, I've moved to Cape Town and I'm, I'm starting over again. And I go, man, she must be reading her life into this story. The power of these stories is that God has dealt with them and it gets recorded on the pages of Scripture and it's God's inspired word to us, but we get to read our story into these stories. And so I'm hoping that you will find something of your story in the pages of Ruth's story and Boaz's story and Naomi's story and that you will be able to respond to God in all the right ways and learn from their lessons about the not so right ways. And I'm not sure about you, but if you haven't yet got hold of the devotional. We wanna be a people that are in the Word of God, not just on Sundays, but every day. And so the team's put together this 20-day devotional into the book of Ruth. And if you haven't downloaded the QR code, if you want it digitally or grab one of these at the involvement desk, but let's be a people of the Word. Let's go deeper. Let's do the self-study. Let's engage God and engage each other in life group and things like that. Now today, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be covering the whole of chapter two and we get introduced to a new character and his name is Boaz, right? In many ways, he's the hero of the story. We'll come back to that in a minute, but before we read chapter two, let me quickly recap in case you haven't, been with us over the last two weeks. And I just wanna say, I, I, I really believe with all my heart, so if you've been a Christ follower for some amount of time, if you're new to kind of Christianity, or even if you're still deciding what you believe, I believe this book is helpful to us. I believe that God can use it to speak into your life. And I don't see it as a random act of perhaps chance that you find yourself in the room here tonight. I'm trusting that God Himself will speak to you. But the book begins with God's people actually in a bit of a, a bad phase. The, the Scriptures tell us that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, which pretty much presumes that they weren't doing what was right in God's eyes, right? And likely because of this, we find kind of the people of God in their land is experiencing something of a famine and God's people, the Israelites, just have famine all around them. And so this one guy, his name's Elimelech, right? He and his wife, Naomi, and their two boys, they decide to move to greener pastures in England, I mean Moab, and away from God's people and away from their people. I just had all my friends go to England, so I'm just tuning hard, right? Away from God's people, away from their people. That was just a joke. If you're moving to England, chill. I said that this morning, we had two people back from England visiting us. Nice to see you guys afterwards. <laughs> Their boys end up marrying Moabite wives. All of this is somehow in this moment outside clearly outside of the will of God and the instruction of God for His people. And, and they hit by calamity. This family is hit by calamity. Elimelech passes away, then the two boys pass away. Naomi is left with nothing but two, her two daughters-in-law, these Moabite ladies, and, and she says to them, as she comes to her senses, kind of like uh, the, the, the prodigal son, she comes to her senses and she says, what am I doing here? I'm gonna go back to my... I'm gonna go back to my God. I'm gonna to return to my land. And as she goes back, she says to the, the two daughters-in-law, hey, how about you return to your people? And the one decides, cool, I'll do that. And she heads back to her family. But Ruth says, no, 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 I'm gonna stick with you. I'm gonna 
I'm gonna journey with you. I'm gonna accompany you. I'm gonna serve you. And I'm gonna return with you to your people and to your God. As Steve helped us to see last week though, as she arrives back amongst her people, she rocks up kind of festering. She is working stuff through and she is in pain and she is in process and she is charging God for all these bad things that have happened in her, her, her life. She says, God, it's your fault. And she chooses to charge God rather than to trust God. If you didn't listen to Steve's sermon last week and you wanna grapple with the sovereignty of God in the place of pain, can I encourage you to go and listen to that message? And yet the chapter ends with glimmers of hope. See, despite all of that, in God's providence, their return to Bethlehem coincides with the start, the beginning of harvest time, which in a sense is a sign of new beginnings and a sign of provision in their lives, right? Joyfully, the famine is over, but these ladies are still arriving with absolutely nothing. They destitute, they've got nothing, but where are they arriving to? They're arriving to Bethlehem. Do you know what Bethlehem means? It literally translated means the house of bread. The house of bread. Now that kind of attuned biblical ear should be able to say, hey, wait, what? The house of bread, Bethlehem? Don't we know someone else that, that kind of associated himself as bread? Maybe the bread of life? Yes, his name was Jesus. And where did he come from? Bethlehem. And in this moment, we, as those standing on this side of kind of biblical and human history, we get to look back and we get to draw associations and lines that these characters actually in the story never stood a chance of being able to see. This was just an ordinary day, an ordinary week, an ordinary month for these guys. But somehow God takes the ordinary and he starts to do the extraordinary in a way that here we are sitting thousands of years later speaking about their story. Who's reading for us tonight? Ash, I'm gonna invite you to come up and to read chapter two to us. Guys, there is a chunk of chains of verses here. It's narrative. You went to sleep late last night. Eyes wide open. Let's be attentive. It's such a beautiful story as we get introduced to the new character, Boaz. Go for it, Ash. Thanks, Ryan. Good evening, church. So yes, it's whole of chapter two of Ruth. So that's one, two, thirty, no, twenty-three, sorry. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him and whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, who young, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. 
Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you, can, you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord. You have comf comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it to her for glean, to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Lots in here, right? Lots for us to look at. And we, we don't have time tonight to, to kind of unpack Ruth, the character. We're gonna focus on Boaz, but it is worth just mentioning from this chapter, the, the selflessness that we see in Ruth. She's given up all her prospects, right? And, and we see Boaz actually commending her and say, hey, you, you, it's not like she was desperate and had no other prospects. He says, you left behind your mother and your father and you gave all of that up and he blesses her. And we also know how brave she has to be to step out there and man, she's in a foreign land. She's a foreigner, she's a widow, she's poor, she's desperate and she could be rejected in so many ways and yet she bravely steps out there to participate and to be a part of the solution. And personally, I just love how when we look at Ruth, she doesn't allow her circumstances to make her bitter. She doesn't allow her circumstances to have the final word in her life. And now for all time, we have this book of the Bible, the only book in the whole Bible that is named after a non-Israelite person. Ruth gets a, a book named after her. 
But the main focus that we're going to look at today is, or tonight, is we're going to look here in chapter two at the example of Boaz. Guys, let me just say, I, I think he is a real inspiration to us. And we're going to look at the activity of his life, but we're going to also look at his character and we're going to see what fuels not just the doing and the activity of his life, but truly his character in this chapter, and we see these things revealed. See, you would have heard me earlier call him a hero of the story, right? But guess what? Boaz is no Superman. He's got no special powers. He's got no great wealth. He's got no specific kind of place of prominence or title, no sp- uh, kind of position as a king or a lord or a ruler in any way. Oftentimes, the kind of passages of the scripture are written about those kinds of people, kings and judges and those kinds of things. And right here in the middle of this, we come across this very ordinary man. Yes, he is a standout citizen. We'll see in later chapters how he interacts with other leaders in their community and town. And he must have some means because he has people that are working for him. But in every other way, Boaz seems somewhat of an everyday, ordinary kind of guy who is getting on with life and is living out his godliness in some kind of way that God seems to appreciate and draw attention to. That's why I think it's good for us to learn from him. So often we can learn from the kings and the judges and the big profile, but actually we're gonna learn from Boaz, an ordinary kind of guy. In fact, verse one, did you pick it up? Verse one, can we go back there? What does what is, what is verse one tell us about this guy? Now Naomi had a relative her husband of her husband's, a worthy man, a worthy man. I didn't know this. But that descriptor, a worthy man, is the same kind of root word that is used to speak uh, in the, uh, uh, the book before this, Judges, in Judges 6 of Gideon. And Gideon, we know as, as he's kind of found in the threshing kind of place, he's called out as a mighty man of valour. It's the same root word and it can be translated noble warrior or hero. And interestingly, it's used of Boaz, but Boaz has got no military might. He's done no fighting, no, no, in a sense, involvement in that kind of way. But the scriptures afford him being used, the same title being used of him because we can see in this passage that he is a hero of substance and character. He's a hero of generosity and kindness. He's a hero of faithfulness and righteousness, someone who crossed ethnic and socioeconomic and social divides to welcome Ruth in. He's an ordinarily faithful, God-fearing man who's wonderfully and yet somewhat ordinarily used in God's purposes. And we're gonna look at four things from this passage that we can see of Boaz that I hope will stir us and who God calls us to be. First is this, Boaz was clearly a generous man. I think this is all over the chapter, right? Firstly, as we kind of uh, recognise Boaz, it's clear that he's a landowner and he's a landowner that's practising the practice, the God-instructed practice of gleaning. 
of gleaning. But remember what season and time this is. This is post a drought. And so he is choosing to to practice kind of what God has instructed in a post drought season. And it's clear that not everybody would have done that. Not everybody would have done that. And yet, listen to Leviticus 19, the instructions of God. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up into its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner or the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God backs that up. He's kind of going, hey guys, I'm not kind of making a suggestion here. This is an instruction. I am the Lord your God. This is what I want you to do. It's, it's an instruction given to make sure that the poor and the foreigner are looked after. Those who had no land to work or means to provide for themselves. And it's a means of survival that is dignifying because it allows them to do some of the work themselves. It's not just a handout but they get to come to work and collect what's left behind at harvest time. And in a dignified way, they find themselves receiving. And right here, after this drought, Boaz is a man that's practicing what God inspects, uh, expects, sorry, not inspects, expects of his people. But then notice all the other ways. That's kind of like standard practice. So yay for Boaz, he's just being faithful in that. But it may not be generous, right? But think about all the other ways that Boaz is seen to be generous in this passage. He provides Ruth with extra generous provision above the normal gleaning. I did some kind of looking into it and they would say that if a person on a normal gleaning day was able to have two handfuls, they would have considered that as a poor person who's in the place of gleaning as a successful gleaning day. Two handfuls of of kind of barley or wheat or whatever it is. Do you know at the end of the day, by the time she gets back, she has the equivalent of 13 kilograms of barley harvest. He says, hey, you don't need to move on. You can stay here in my fields. See, the practice was you'd kind of like glean a little here in this field, glean in someone else's field, glean in someone else's field. And in that way, you kind of share the love and everybody gets a little something. But Boaz says to her, no, no, no. Don't feel like you need to move on to anywhere else. Just remain here. And he, he says, hey, I'm gonna make this gleaning process easier for you. I don't want you kind of going behind my workers, kind of picking up sloppy seconds. No, I want you to work amongst them and have equal rights and, and possibility of being able to harvest, work amongst my workers. And then he even instructs his workers to make it easier for her and pull. And he says, hey, why don't you pull from the bundles and leave for her? She goes home with over 13 kilograms. He's generous towards her. He's generous in giving her refreshing. Did you remember the part where he says, hey, you can drink water uh, when needed, refresh yourself. And then he calls her to the meal and he says, hey, here's sustenance for you. He also gives her protection. He tells the young men not to touch her. And then he gives her a place of community and companionship, telling telling her to work amongst the young ladies, to stick with them. All of these things going completely over and above what was expected in the clear instruction of God. And his generous nature comes to the fore. Secondly, we see about Boaz that he was kind and caring. 
In every interaction, Boaz seeks to dignify Ruth and not to degrade her. Now that surely should be standard practice. I'm not sure that it was. If we read the chapter again slowly, he actually has to tell the young man not to touch her. Most probably wasn't a place of safety for her as a young widowed woman in that time. He actually has to tell his workers not to give her a hard time as a foreigner. It's probably not a very safe place to be as a foreigner. Her mother-in-law says to her, hey, no, you got a good deal here. Stick with these guys. You may go to another field and get, ass- get assaulted or something like that. Obviously, the standard experience was not that people were out to dignify you as a widow and as a foreigner. And yet Boaz seems to, to do that at every single turn. In fact, he speaks so kindly to her that she later thanks him in verse 13, specifically for his kindness. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. It's kind of like, whoa, this is unexpected, right? And look at how straight away, I I love these, the power of words, the power of words. Straight away in Boaz's first interaction with Ruth, Ruth, he addresses her as my daughter. Think about that for a moment. Here's a widowed foreigner who has no provision, is unsafe, and is pretty desperate. And the first words that come out of his mouth towards her are, my daughter. Those two words would have been profoundly received as she realized that he was saying, you are accepted here, you are safe here, you will be cared for here, you have a place here, I will look after you like a father to a daughter. I'm not sure about you, but when you read that, I don't just go, oh, well done, kind and caring Boaz. It causes me to reflect freshly upon the power of my words to build up and to break down, to divide and to unify, to encourage and to discourage, to to move us ahead and to set us back. Words are powerful. The scriptures call us to weigh our words well. We know this to be true of our lives, right? Personally, as I've worked through this, next week we're gonna get to the kinsman redeemer, which is kind of like the big theme of the book of Ruth. Super excited for that. Krugs is gonna crack it open for us. All us other preachers are holding back as best we can not to get to kinsman redeemer, right? It's the great theme of this book. But I wanna tell you, as I've been reading these, this passage this week, I think Boaz is a foreshadowing of Jesus in some other ways, particularly with regards to how he interacts with Ruth. He foreshadows the gracious kindness of Jesus. As Jesus dealt with the woman at the well, as Jesus dealt with the woman with the issue of bleeding, as Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery, as Jesus even dealt with his own mom at the wedding of Cana, his words were so gracious, measured, weighed. And I think Boaz seems to just like Jesus be characterized by grace in his dealings with Ruth. And I think it's pretty clear that Boaz is being very purposeful, very purposeful and intentional about breaking down the existing dividing walls between them. 
Listen to verse 10, Ruth notices it. And her amazement in Ruth and in verse 10 is based on how Boaz has broken down the ethnic divides towards her as a foreigner. Verse 13, Ruth's gratitude is for how Boaz has broken down the class divides, recognising that she is even lower than being one of his servants. She says, thank you, you've treated me in this way uh, like one of your servants. And then she says, even though I'm not one of your servants. And that's actually a a Hebraic term that goes, you're not even on the level of being a servant. She's like, hey, you've treated me like a servant, even though I'm this other class of something. And she is so grateful because he's broken down these class divides that exist. Verse 14, Ruth is also called to come near over lunchtime. Again, breaking down a social divide that existed. Think about this, why was she needed to be called near? Because she naturally positioned herself apart from and far away. That kind of would have been the social arrangement of the moment. And Boaz says, no, 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 none of this apartness. I'm gonna draw you near, come. Come and sit at the table. And then Boaz absolutely smashes all these things by doing two things. One, he, the master, serves her, the not even servant, some bread. See, our kind of westernized, modernized, We miss it, right? That little verse where he serves her bread in their context would have been a huge thing. He's the master. She's the not even servant or slave. And yet he serves her bread. And it's a big role reversal of of those kinds of things. He throws it on his head and then he goes even further and smashes the divides completely by saying, hey, why don't you dip your bread here in this communal bowl? That would have been a full acceptance moment. Not just do you have a seat at the table, but you're part of the family. In that moment, all divides are broken down by Boaz. And it's not like Boaz is not doing this unintentionally. It seems to be the overflow of who he is. He's gentle and caring, but he's also intentional and he's radical and taking down the walls of power and economic and status differentials between them. Boaz is a worthy man. Thirdly, I think a few things could be said to the business owners. If you're a business owner in the room or an employer or a manager, if you lead staff, I think a few things could be said about this good man and the way that he does that too. I think he was a good employer. We don't have much time for it, but we can clearly see how good a tone he had with the people who worked for him, his employees. He seemed to have good rapport with them. He works with them. He eats with them. He's alongside them. He blesses them spiritually when he arrives and they bless him back again. It seems like he's looking after their working conditions and caring for their needs. And we see, importantly, how Clearly, they're able to live out his value system even when he's not in the field. And the story starts and, and what's happening? Boaz is not even there yet. And yet Ruth is gleaning in the field because she came to the foreman and she asked, hey, could I have permission to glean here? And they say, yep, we believe we could give you permission because that represents the, the nature and the character of our boss, our master. 
He's empowered them to represent the value systems that he wants to see lived out. I think there's something here to consider for the the leaders, the managers, the employers amongst us. But here's the biggest thing that I think has struck me about Boaz as I've been working through this chapter this week. We've kind of highlighted the activity of Boaz's life. Generosity, kindness, intentionality, good employer, Those are all external activity things. But the thing that has struck me is that I truly believe Boaz was a righteous man. A righteous man. Where am I getting that from? I'm not getting it from the fact that when he rocks up in the field, he says, the Lord be with you to his his staff, right? That's not good enough. Guys, we know it's easy to get the kind of Christianese bless you kind of language going on. Hey, Hey, good luck with that. I'll pray for you, bless you easy, right? It's so easy for us to kind of talk the talk. But let me tell you, we've all bumped into the people where they easily talk the talk. But when you bump into their lives, you struggle to find evidence of them walking the walk, right? So that's not where I'm getting it from. It goes much deeper with Boaz. See, behind Boaz's generosity and behind his care and his kindness and his intentionality, even behind, behind I believe him being a good employer, I think there's evidence of Boaz's life and a great desire, a deep desire to honour God and to honour people and to do what is right in God's eyes and to represent God's character well and God's kindness well. See, there's a a Hebrew concept found here in verse 20, which I, I want us to unpack tonight. It's called chased. It's spelt like that, H-E-S-E-H-E-S-E-D, chased. I hope that I'm saying the Hebrew word right. I even went on Google and said, teach me how to say chased. And it's, it's like chased. What is chased? I hope this sticks. See, chased is here translated into kindness, right? But actually, Chased is a suitcase term and kindness doesn't even nearly fit half the luggage into the suitcase. See, chased is receiving the kindness of God, His grace and His goodness poured out to us. And then in light of that, the second move of chased is that we live in right response to God. We live in His ways and and according to His will as a right response to His kindness. And then the third component of chased is that we live out His kindness to the world around us. Does that make sense? Receiving something, the grace and kindness of God, living rightfully before God in light of what we've received from Him and then living out that same generosity, goodness, kindness to the world around us. Chased is is such a big covenantal term with the people of God. It's about them fulfilling the highest ideals of being a covenant people by being obedient to God's laws and representing God's kindness to the world around him. So here in verse 20, Naomi finds out, see, Ruth returns home. She's at 13 kilograms of barley and she's like, woohoo, we got the plunder today. Way more than gleaning. And Naomi says, hey, where did this happen? Who did you find favour with? And when she finds out that it's Boaz, Ruth says these words, 
she immediately blesses Boaz and she says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose chased has not forsaken the living and the dead. So what is, what is Naomi blessing him for? She's saying, hey, I hope that Boaz gets blessed because he is a worthy man. And, and God's chased, God's kindness has not been forgotten to me, the living, and has my dead sons and uh, husband, their kind of name or reputation has not been forgotten. God has been kind to them. But how has God been kind? Through this worthy man who has not just received the kindness of God, but he's also lived out righteousness before God, practicing what God had called him to do and gleaning and other things and going beyond that, living out the kindness, the nature of God to Ruth and to Naomi. She blesses him because he has shown himself to be a righteous and worthy man. Naomi is celebrating and blessing Boaz. And it's true. Think about it. Boaz has showed himself righteous by being generous, showing God's chased when it may not have suited him post the drought, right? Why? Because he believes the instructions of God to care for foreigners and for the poor and he allows them therefore to glean. And I believe he believes God. He believes God that profit is not the primary reason why he is living. And so he's willing to let some of the prophets go to allow generosity, chased, to flow towards Ruth as a foreigner. He believes that he will flourish by living in the will of God. Proverbs eleven twenty five: whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. The one who shows chased will himself receive chased. Boaz also shows himself righteous by showing kindness. That's actually chased with the widows. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says this, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner or foreigner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Do you see what Boaz does? He recognises Ruth as foreign, a fatherless foreigner in the land, and he steps right in, and he represents the very heart and nature of God, my daughter. And he recognises her as a foreigner who's sojourning in this land. And he goes, hey, I too am a foreigner who has sojourned from the, well, my people from the land of Egypt. He practices the chased of God. And Boaz has shown himself righteous by recognising that he is part of how God would live out and bring chased into the world by rewarding those who have acted honourably in God's eyes. See, Boaz in Ruth, I mean to Ruth in verse 11, he says, hey, all this story, I've heard about your sacrifices and how you've left mom and dad behind and, and you've come to serve Naomi and then he blesses her. Verse 12, he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Profoundly, Boaz goes, hey, you've returned to this land, to this people and to this God. You are seeking to take refuge under the God of Israel. 
May He bless you. May He reward you. May He show His chased to you. But then does Boaz stop there? Nope. He's not like many of us when it comes to our friends and trouble. Hey, I'll pray for you. Sorry that you're going through a hard time. Trust your finances come right. Good luck with that, eh? No, Boaz actually goes, I recognise that the chased of God, I'm trusting for the chased of God to come to you and I actually recognise that proximity-wise, I'm most probably the hands and feet of God to bring the chassid of God to you. And he steps in and he is generous and he is caring and, he, and he, he serves her. He doesn't just leave it there. He sees himself as part of God's solution and provision and plan and providence for her and he treats her with that same chassid. Boaz was a righteous man He believed and he lived out covenant faithfulness as one of God's people. And here's the clincher for me, personally. Boaz had a good day, right? I mean, think about this. This is is a snapshot of one day in this dude's life. And like, when I think about it, I think, yeah, surely, Surely if the kind of cameras of Scripture were rolling in on my life and they're gonna come say, hey, sign Kate, today we're gonna do the kind of like Cribs version of sign Kate's life for the Scriptures to come and we're gonna just follow you guys around and we're gonna check out your character and all that kind of stuff. What would you guys do? You'd wanna put your very most thoughtful, considered gospel kind of generous, all of that, you would wanna put that on display and you would wanna live that out in a way that makes us all proud and hopefully the book of Kate that gets written one day is like quite amazing, right? That's how we would treat it. But the reality is, guys, they did not know the cameras were rolling. This was just an ordinary day where Boaz rocks up to his field, most probably like he had done the 30,000 days before that and a bunch of days, not 30,000, that's a bit much. The 3,000 days before that and the next 3,000, he rocked up another day to work and to his community and yet the Scriptures hone in and said, man, this guy lived it. He got it. It wasn't the outward activity of his life. Show a bit of kindness, bless your people. The Lord bless you as you arrive to work. No, the point of the scriptures is this guy got it at a covenantal being, living, understanding, accepting, reality point of view. He had received the goodness of God and he wanted to respond by living right before his God and he wanted to live out the nature and the character of God to the people around him. And what are, what are the results? Naomi and Ruth are saved from their desperation. Ruth gains work opportunity. Naomi seems to turn back to God and she goes, hey, gratitude, Lord, bless that guy and Lord, thank you. And, and actually maybe you haven't forsaken me and abandoned me. Boaz, he gets blessed by Naomi and we'll see much, much more over the next few weeks about everything Boaz gets out this deal. (laughs) 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 Zoe, that was a naughty laugh. (laughs) Let me tell you, there is nothing sexual going on up until this point in this book, right? Nothing dodgy going on just yet. That's coming in the other guy's weeks, right? (laughs) Getting naked, lying at his feet. What is going on there? 
I made the getting naked part up just to spice things up and make sure you come back next week. What does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean for your life? Hey, if you're here for maybe the first time or church isn't your regular hang on a Sunday night, one of the beautiful kind of components of this story is that it is an invitation from the outside to come in. It's an invitation to to meet the God of Boaz. It's an invitation to to receive the chased of the creator of the universe. For us as a people, if, if we're Christ followers in the room, man, I hope that something of Boaz's generosity and his kindness and his inclusivity and his intentionality and his courage and breaking down dividing walls would all come from the place of us being found worthy as righteous followers, recipients of the kindness of God. But let me tell you, church, even as Christ followers, we stand no chance of doing this in our own effort. See, I, I think the reality of that balloon picture that birthday girl shared with us, is it your birthday? No, I'm wearing it for the Ah, okay. Here I thought it was your birthday. Inga, Sorry. What is that? I just saw her walk in with a green cone on her head. I was so sure it was her birthday. For the book, I got it. Okay, so Inga's not birthday. But come back to the picture. Come back to the picture. Guys, in so many ways, our lives can be that pop balloon that we try and blow the activity of godliness into. Hey God, we wanna be generous. We, we want to we try our best, Lord, help us. Give us strength. Could we pull up our socks and make this happen this week? And the reality is we can't. But God says to us, when we have a fully surrendered life and when we find ourselves coming to the place that Ruth came to, where did Ruth came to? come to? She came to the house of bread and she found herself being met in that place. And guys, we get to come to this place too. We get to come to the house of bread where the very bread of life was broken for you and for me in the person of Jesus Christ. And when we, this, the Scriptures say, when we are found, we are, we are found not just destitute, we are found not just in need and hunger, we are found dead in our trespasses and sin. And yet, from the house of bread comes the very living bread, Christ Himself. And He, upon a cross, dies for us and imputes to us His life that we could live life and it to the full is what the Scriptures promise us. See, the truth is we need a good and better Boaz. We need one called Jesus who doesn't wait for us to rock up in His fields, but one who comes into the field of our lives and rescues us and saves us. And there's an invitation in that for us tonight. We need to 
not just receive from him kind of the refreshing of some water. We need to receive from him his blood poured out. We need to receive from him not just some barley like Boaz, but we need to receive from him his very life laid down. And so we're gonna come to the communion table and we're gonna again appropriate this meal, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ to our lives. And then we're gonna invite the Spirit to freshly empower us, be that helium into the balloon of our lives that allows us to live our lives out loud, uh, kind of exuding or, or, or expressing His chesed, the kindness that we receive, then becoming the kindness that we go and give to others and generosity and kindness. Make sense? Church, I wanna call us to the table. If you're a Christ follower, this is a moment to say, hey, I believe this and I wanna celebrate this. If you're still deciding what you believe, feel free to stay seated where you are, contemplate these things. But for us as the family, let's come tonight and let's partake at the table. Grab the bread, the juice, we'll hold the sacraments and we'll take communion together. God, thank you that your broken body means that we not, need not remain dead in our sin and trespass. Thank you, God, for the way that you have taken our sins upon yourself and you've crucified them upon the cross. You've dealt with them. Thank you, God, that you've imputed to us a righteousness which is not ours, but yours, and yet we get to wear it. We get to live it. and get to live into it. Thank you, Jesus, that on the night that you were gonna be betrayed, you took the cup and you told us that we should do this often in remembrance of you. And you weren't gonna do this again until that time when you would do it with us together in paradise one day. Thank you, God, that this cup, the cup of salvation speaks a better word. The blood of salvation speaks a better word over our lives and we get to raise it tonight. And we get to look forward to that day when we are reunited in paradise with us. Thank you, God, that we, we don't just receive provision in Bali, we receive eternity and relationship with you. Thank you that the blood tears down the curtain so that we can come into your presence. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and empower us now. Church, the blood of Christ shed for you. Holy Spirit, we say tonight, won't you come be the helium of chesed in our very beings here tonight? Would you cause us to be those who represent your kindness, your grace and your goodness so well, not out of our own efforts, but just out of the overflow of responding to your kindness to us and, and living that out so naturally. Place of righteous living before our God. Empower us to this end, we pray in your beautiful name.